And <clears throat> excuse me, hey, if you have a copy of God's word, uh, let's go to John chapter three. Thinking about this um, this week, and and I've been in the ministry now for um, I think 2010 was when I first started serving in full time ministry. So what's that? Almost 13 years. Um, as far as I know, this is going to sound strange. I've never preached out of John chapter three. Isn't that strange? Um, which is obviously one of the most famous passages and chapters in all of Scripture. Um, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses this morning, and we're going to look at a, a man named Nicodemus and and just this this conversation that this leader, this this teacher of Israel, has with the Messiah. He has with Jesus. Um, and it's just a fascinating passage of scripture as we look at what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And that's what the title of the message, message today is, is this a new creation in Christ. As we look at these different encounters, we've kind of walked through the scriptures the last few weeks about what it looks like when people have an encounter with Jesus and it, and it does something significant in their life. And their, their life is changed in some, some profound and, and significant way. And so that's where we're going to jump off uh, today. I was thinking about this as we um, get started. Think about the most significant moments in a person's life. You know, I mean, when we really break everything down, maybe we get, what does the scripture say? Uh, Psalm 90, 70, maybe 80 years a man will get. Um, average lifespan from the time that we're born to the time that we go home to be with the Lord. Um, you can kind of look at some of the most significant events in your life. Um, the day that you were born, obviously. Um, we celebrated my youngest son's birthday yesterday, so they, we make a big deal about celebrating uh, the day that we're born. Obviously, that's a, that's a big day, right? Um, I think about things like, you know, you meet your first best friend uh, in school. Um, you, you graduate from high school. That's usually a big one on people's uh, you know, list about significant event turning points in people's lives. You know, you kind of grow up with all these people, you go to school together, and then after graduation, everybody just kind of goes their separate ways for the most part. And, and a lot of times, you never see those people again. Um, your first time you got a, your first job, or maybe you entered into your, your career, is a significant time. Obviously, the day you fell in love, or you, you met your spouse, and the day that you got married, uh, that's going to be something that you always have on your calendar each and every year, right? So, a very important event in our life. Um, the, the day you have your first child or, or children, uh, the birth of your children, obviously major events in our life. When you become grandparents, um, Abby and I are just now experiencing what that's like. You know, it's just a whole other level of uh, joy that is brought into your life when you see your children now. They're having children and now you're, you're this new person. You're a grandparent. Um, these are significant times in our life. And maybe some of you like when you, when you finally got a chance to retire and finally get to spend more time with your with your spouse to travel or do things that you wanted to do. But anyway, th those are all things that are important and significant in our life. But you know what? As, as meaningful and significant and profound as all of those things that I just said to you are, there's nothing more important than the day that we're born again. The day that we are, the day that we come to know and enter into a relationship with the one true God, as he's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we have what, what the scriptures and what we're going to look at today, we have something profound, something so significant happens to us is that we are spiritually speaking, we are reborn. Okay, so if our birthday is important, the day we're physically born into this world, and it, and it is, and it's, it's, it's important, how much more important is our spiritual birthday? And that's what John chapter 3 is all about. It's about this idea of what it looks like to become a new creation in Christ. And honestly, guys, when we think about it, is that the day that we're born is the most important, the most significant event in our lives. It's impossible to encounter, it's impossible to, to have an encounter with the, the living God, the one true God, Jesus Christ, and your life would not be changed. It's just impossible. And uh, so once, once Jesus enters into our life, once we have that moment, once we have that relationship established, our life truly will never be the same. It never should be. It never could be. And that's what, kind of what we're going to look at today. 
So to receive Jesus is to receive life itself. To know Christ is the very purpose and meaning of life itself. Nothing will ever come close to being more meaningful or more important than that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what we see here in John chapter 3 is that we have a religious leader named Nicodemus. And he is, he's considered the premier teacher of Israel. So he's the guy, you know, and he, had, he, had, he was above all of his peers as far as the, the ones that looked to him to be the, the, most, the wisest and the most respected teacher in the land, uh, understanding the Torah, understanding God's scriptures, understanding who God is, being that, that voice of authority in his day. And he comes to have an encounter with Jesus. And guess what happened to Nicodemus that night? It was the beginning of him having a life-transforming event in, 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 his, uh, in his life. And Nicodemus was never the what? He was never the same after this. So we're going to look at what it means to have an encounter with Jesus and what it means to be a new creation in Christ. So if you have your Bible, let's look at John 3 together. I'm just again, I'm going to read, um, well, I said 1 through 8. Um, I may read a little bit past that, but let's go to John 3, verse 1. It says, it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and it says he was a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. So, so again, understand the context. He's not yet comfortable coming to Jesus out in public, out in the open. So he, he, he knows something's happening. He knows something is unique about Jesus but he's not yet comfortable to really let his card show, as it were. So he's got to go meet him under the secrecy of night. And so he goes to him at night. He says, Rabbi, teacher, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Okay? And then Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, or your, your translation may say born from above, Okay, unless a man is reborn, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You may want to underline that. You must be born again. I said to you, excuse me, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it, where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be and look at what Jesus says. You are the teacher of Israel, right? He says, if anybody understands what I'm saying to you, you should get this. Like, you're the guy. You're the premier authority in the land right now. You should understand this. He says, and yet you do not understand these things. He said, I truly say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Let's stop there. Let's, let's, uh, let's just take a minute. I want to pause and, and we'll say a quick prayer and we'll dive into this together. Father, um, I thank you for this, this revealed truth. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for these encounters that um, were, were preserved and written down for our benefit. Uh, Lord, because um, at the end of the day, as I said before, there's really nothing more important than the day that we enter into that relationship with you. And, Lord, you do, you do something supernatural in our life. You actually you make us a new creation. Um, and we're reborn spiritually. And, Lord, uh, there's nothing more important than that. So if there be anybody in this room today, and uh, you, you know our hearts, and you know where we are in our relationship with you, Lord. So if there's anybody here today that, that's never truly been experienced the, the spiritual rebirth, uh, that, that you're talking about here, Lord. Um, my, my prayer is that your spirit would, would uh, just gently and uh, graciously convict and, uh, and lead them, Lord, to be uh, willing to trust you and, uh, Lord, to, to believe in you, the one true God, so that they can experience that and have the confidence and the assurance that, Lord, um, that 
that we can have eternal life and that we can have fulfillment and purpose um, being in a relationship with you. And that's my prayer today. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three, three simple things I just want to share with you about this passage. Uh, first is that let's not miss the uh, imperative here is that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he first is spiritually reborn, okay, or born from above, born again. Um, that's an exclusive statement. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things we have to wrestle with when it comes to the teachings of Jesus is that he makes exclusive statements that are absolute. He, he doesn't leave any room for interpretation, you know. When, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he leaves no other option, right, for us to enter into a relationship with God. He says he is the only, he's the only what? He's the only way. There's only one way. And this is another one of those in, in instances where the Lord Jesus is teaching, and he's like, listen, you must be, don't miss that. He said you must be born again. In other words, the spiritual rebirth or, or being born again, this is not a suggestion, okay? It's a command. And the thing that we have to always come back to, guys, is that no matter who we are, where we come from, or how we grew up, or what we believe, is that we must come to God on whose terms? On his terms. We don't get to make up the terms. We don't get to be the ones to decide, well, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do, or I'm going to define my life the way I want to define it, or I'm going to discover or seek truth and happiness in, in my own way, and, you know, regardless of what I think God has said or hasn't said, or what, regardless of what the Bible says, or maybe I'm not even a believer at all, and I'm just hoping that everything in the end is going to work out, or whatever it may be. See, guys, we just don't get to do that, because God has, has defined the terms clearly for us. He said, listen, there is a way for you as a sinner to be restored to me, to have a relationship with me, but there's only one way. And that way I've shown you, I've given to you, and I'm asking you and I'm telling you, this is the way you must come to me. And there has to be some type of a spiritual rebirth in every person's life and every person's heart in order for us to enter into the what? The kingdom. Now, I don't know about you. I think most people would like the idea of being able to spend eternity in heaven and spend eternity in the kingdom of God. I know I do. And God's saying, you can get in. Like, there's a way. But you got to do it on my in my way and on my terms. And so that's what we see here in Jesus. So it's not a suggestion. It is an imperative. This is a command. You must be born again. And so these terms, again, being born again, that, that's, that can be a Christian term or a, uh, a religious term. That when you go talking to, to people out in the world, maybe they're not real familiar with our language. And so maybe that's not the best way to put it. But maybe we can encourage other people that they need to be spiritually reborn, spiritually reborn, okay? And that's what Jesus is talking about here, is that when we are spiritually reborn, we receive something. We receive eternal life. We receive new spiritual life that wasn't there before, okay? And so that's what it, that's what it means to be, to be united with Christ or to be in Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute, is that this is the life-changing power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born spiritually or to be born from above uh, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is second corinthians five seventeen. you probably know it it says if anyone is in christ he is what he is a new creation okay and so what we see here is that we have kind of it's really a, it's really a double it's two sides of the same coin so we have to be in christ to become a new creation to be spiritually reborn but the flip side is that he also has to be in us, right? So we are in Christ, but he is also now what? He's living in us. So, so that's what the relationship is all about. It's about being in union, being spiritually united with another individual, okay? It's a very intimate, personal relationship. The word that is used often in Scripture when we talk about being born again is a word I'm going to teach you. You've heard it before. Who's heard the word regeneration? Okay, regeneration. It's a, it's a legitimate uh, term that we find in the text. We find it in both the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek, in the Greek text of the New Testament. But the word regeneration, just, it re literally means to be made new, to be, to be renewed, or to be spiritually 
reborn. And the thing about regeneration is that it is a one-time event. Now, why is it important that I say that? Um, I remember there was this kid in our youth group when I, the first church that I served at, uh, served at, his name was Dennis. Uh, and Dennis was a great kid. He was so funny. He was full of energy. And we, we used to laugh. I mean, it, it was kind of funny. But I was there long enough to see, to see Dennis. Uh, he was in our youth group. And he would, every single summer, he would go to youth camp, right? And he wasn't really involved with our youth group. But he would go to youth camp every single summer. And he would go for that full week. And you know how it is when you're in those environments like youth camp and it's just Jesus 24-7 and you're worshiping God and you're around all these people and you have all this emotion coming on and every single summer Dennis would get saved. He got saved every summer, you know, and then he would come back to home and come back to reality and he would kind of fall back into some of the same old ways and he had his struggles. And, and I'm not saying Dennis wasn't saved, but the thing that I try to encourage anybody to understand is that being born again is a one-time event. You don't have to continually be reborn over and over and over again because once you have a real encounter with Jesus, okay, and he really changes your life and you're spiritually reborn, that's what Nicodemus is trying to figure out here. He's like, wait a minute, how do you go back into your mother's womb a second time? It wasn't registering him, it wasn't registering with him here when he's having this conversation with Jesus. But what we've got to understand is that this is a moment in your life. Now, here's the thing. Can you always definitively tell you the exact time and day and hour when you were spiritually reborn? Not necessarily. And I think some people get hung up on that. Because they hear somebody share a testimony and they're like, well, I can tell you exactly where I was the day that God saved me and my life was never the change and it was this day and it was at this time. And, and sometimes our testimony bears itself out like that. But you know what, guys? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a little bit unclear, but we know something happened. We know our life was changed, but sometimes it takes a little bit of retrospection where we have to kind of look back and say, wait a minute, I don't know the exact day necessarily that I was born again, that I became a new creation in Christ, but I know that I'm different today. In other words, God has done something in my life to what? To change me. I've been changed, right? And so if you're out there today, some of you may even be struggling with that right now. You may, I don't really, I don't know, I don't have the assurance of my salvation, or I can't go back to the the exact date when I was born again. Don't worry about that. Don't worry as much about when maybe you were saved in the past. Here's the question you got to ask yourself. Are you in a relationship with Jesus right now? If you know that you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus right now, then guess what? You belong to him. You're, you're one of his. I mean, that's as simple as that. We make these things sometimes more complicated than they have to be. And so this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Let me read something from Titus chapter 3. This is probably... Maybe one of the best passages that, that gives us an idea of what this looks like, this regeneration. Okay, Titus 3, I'm just going to read a few verses to you. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy. We, we were hated by others and hating one another. Okay. That is kind of definitive of what it looks like for a person to be in the world and, and remaining in their sinful nature before we encounter the new birth, okay? This is kind of who we are by default, right? We're just out there in the world, right? We're, we're slaves to our passions and the pleasures of this world, and we're foolish. I mean, I think about how foolish I have been over my life and the things that I've done, disobedience. And so th these are the things that kind of define who we are before we experience the new birth, okay? But then look what he says. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works that, we've, that, we have been, that we could do in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Okay, now look at what it says. How does he save us? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It means to be reborn. Is that something supernatural, spiritual happens to us that changes us to such an extent, to such a degree, that our lives should never be the same. Does it mean that our lives are going to be perfect? does not we're going to talk about that next but something has to change because if you encounter jesus the god of the universe the savior of the world and nothing changes i don't know maybe we need to 
Maybe we need to start to, to second guess if we really had a real encounter with Jesus. Because I just don't see how you can meet. Think about it. I mean, the minute you met your spouse and or the minute your child was born and you met your first child, could your life ever be the same? never be the same, right? Once you meet the people in your life that are most important to you and that love you, it changes your life forever. So how can we meet Jesus? How can we have an encounter with him or a relationship with him and it not change our life forever? So if we think that we've had some type of a spiritual experience, but our life has never what? It's never changed? If there's no, no change, no desire, no, no, nothing tr- has been transformed in our life, we need to probably examine ourselves a little bit more closely and say, wait a minute, Maybe I'm confused about what salvation is really all about. So just, just make sure that you're, you're clear about that. So what matters most is, is a new creation. So let me, let me just give you some, some practical things that I think will help you understand how the role of the Holy Spirit really is essential in a believer's life. Okay? I'm going to give you, let's see, one, two, I will give you four. Okay? The first is this. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're spiritually reborn, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about here, we become, we receive what's called the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption, okay, which is important because at that moment when we're adopted into God's family, we now become sons and daughters of who? Of the Heavenly Father. Now, that's, that's important, is it not? So the Spirit gives us this, this adoption, okay, so that when we have this new life in Christ, this new birth, again, it's that whole picture of rebirth, right? So now we're born into whose family? Into God's family. We've been received by the Father as his children so that now we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we have one common heavenly Father. So we have this Spirit of adoption. Listen to what the scripture says in Romans chapter 8. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are children of God. Now, it's very, very simple. If you're a child, you know who your parents are. You don't have to wonder or question. Like, if I'm a child, I know who my dad, my mom and dad, they raised me, right? I don't have to question who they are. I just know that, that's who, that those are my parents. I'm their son, right? And guys, I think many of us sometimes struggle with understanding who we are in Christ because if we're in Christ and we've been adopted into God's family, we should not have to wonder who our heavenly father is like there should be no confusion now again does that mean that you're perfect this is no i'm not talking about moral perfection i'm talking about who what is your identity right what is your identity and if you have this understanding of who you are in a new as a new creation in christ you understand that you've been adopted into god's family and that you are his child and that he is your heavenly father and that he loves you and nothing can ever change that relationship. Do you know that once you're legally adopted into a family, that you can never be unadopted? Like, I'm just talking about in life, like legally. Once you're adopted, and that's why adoption is such a serious thing. Some of you have adopted children yourself. Once you make that choice to bring a child into your home and legally they become yours and you give them your last name and you make that choice to adopt them, can they ever not be your child? Never again. They will always be, belong to you. And that's what we see here in the spirit of adoption. So that we are his children, he is our father, and what can change that? Nothing in all the world. The second thing that happens is that we become qualified as as citizens, okay? So now let's talk about our our place in God's kingdom. The spirit of God, when we're reborn and, and we're spiritually born again, we are transferred. In the book of Colossians, I love the way Paul says it. He says that, is that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's translated or transferred us into the what into the kingdom yeah of his beloved son in whom we have redemption so so something happens from a citizenship perspective 
It's almost like you become a new naturalized citizen, not of the United States of America, but now you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the spirit is the one that gives us this. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. It says, for through, through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so we are qualified. What did Jesus say? Unless a man is born again, he will not enter into the what? Into the kingdom. So there's going to come a day when we have to stand before God and there's going to be this exchange that takes place. Again, this is at least the way that I envision it. And there's going to be, you know, we, we all laugh about the pearly gates and, you know, you're going to have to stand there and you're in line and, you know, do you qualify to get in, whatever. You can look at it that way or not. That's fine. But at the end of the day, what's going to qualify us to say, I am a citizen of God's kingdom, therefore the gates will be what? The gates will be open and you will be walking right into the kingdom of God as a citizen of that kingdom. What is it that qualifies you as a citizen of the kingdom of God? It's one thing. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Have you been joined or united with the Holy Spirit of God? Because we'll, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the Holy Spirit, he's called our down, uh, down payment or our deposit. Or we, it's, the scriptures talk about us being sealed, sealed, stamped, tattooed with the Holy Spirit. So that when we do stand before God, there's really no debating or no questioning about whether or not we qualify for the kingdom or not. Because we will have the spirit. If we do have the spirit, we're sealed with the spirit. In other words, we have his stamp of what? His stamp of approval. Of course, that's one of my children. Come on in. Because that's what the spirit does. He qualifies us for the kingdom of God. The third thing that he does is that we receive eternal life. Listen, this is important. Immediately upon spiritual rebirth. So I want you to think about eternal life, you know, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. Eternal life, guys, is not something that we get in the future. It's something that we experience right now in the present. So the minute that we enter into a spiritual union or, or this new birth in Christ, it's not like eternal life is something that we get down the road when we die. Eternal life is something that happens when? Right now. We have eternal life in us because we've been spiritually given life through this Holy Spirit who's united now with our spirit. So in Romans 8, it says, if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if the spirit dwells in you, you have what? Eternal life. It's yours right now. And yes, it is that future promise as well and hope. And here's the last thing that I think is kind of interesting. Being born again, it physically, and this is interesting, it physically makes us compatible with God's presence. Let me explain to you what I mean. You see, in these mortal bodies, if God were to show up in this room today in, in his glory, even in some of his revealed or some of his suppressed glory, what would happen to us in these mortal bodies? We would disintegrate. I mean, I mean, we've talked a lot about God, just the, just the glory of God, the presence of his power, the, the just the... He, he, the scriptures talk about him. He dwells in unapproachable light. Like no one can really look upon the face, in God, the face of God and live. It's just, it's impossible because this is just who he is. It's not that he's angry with us necessarily. It's just like, this is just who I am. It's like trying to hug an atomic bomb. It just doesn't work, right? And so in these mortal bodies, guys, we can't, we're not compatible with the kingdom of God. We're not ready to enter into the kingdom of God because who's in the kingdom of God in, in the fullness of his glory? He is. That's where God dwells. And I don't know about you, I want to be close to him. I want to be able to get near to him, right? But if I were to go close to him right now, I would die. I would be completely undone and, dis and just be, I would disintegrate in the, in the presence of his glory, right? So what does the spirit do? The spirit promises, he's that down payment, right? He's that seal. 
that promises us that one day, what, what are we going to get? We're going to get new, resurrected, glorified, light-bearing bodies. Amen. And those bodies are important because unless you have that body, you can't enter into the what? You can't enter into the kingdom of God. And you certainly can't be compatible with the glory of God. And you're not going to be able to be in the presence of God unless you have this kind of resurrected, glorified body in the same way that Jesus had. And we have a hope and we have a promise. Let me tell you what it says in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to this. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That we're being conformed to him in his death and somehow we get to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now listen, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself, transform our lowly bodies. Anybody feeling like they're in a lowly body right now? I am. He will transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And when does that happen? It happens when the Lord Jesus, what? When he returns. On the day of the Lord, we will receive these resurrected bodies because we are in spiritual union as new believers, new new creations in Christ, and we get these bodies to be compatible for the kingdom. So all of those things, that's just a few of the things that we get to look forward to and that we benefit from by entering into this relationship with the Lord, by becoming new creatures in Christ. Have you ever heard it said this way? If you're born once, you die, you got to die twice. If you're born twice, you only die once. And actually, that death is really not a death at all because Jesus said that whoever believes in me and lives will never die. So it's like walking from life into what? Into life. Yeah, the body dies. We understand that. But we don't really die. We walk from life into life. So if you're here today and you've only been born once, naturally, what did Jesus say? A man who's born of both water and the spirit. I think he's talking about that here. He's saying, yeah, you know, you're born naturally. You're born into this world. We get life, natural life. But if you're born once, guys, unfortunately, if that's it, you have to die twice. You die physically, but then you also die what? Spiritually. But he says if you're born again, if you're born a second time, you only die once. And so he's like, hey, Nicodemus, if anybody understands this, who should understand it? You should understand it. And it's just fascinating to me. Nicodemus would have known the scriptures inside and out. I'm not going to spend any time really here going back to some of the writings and the prophets and the Torah. But if Nicodemus was familiar with the scriptures, I mean, I think about David in Psalm 51. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I think about Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, and he says, you know, the Lord promises to cleanse us and to give us a new what? A new heart. He, t- he removes the heart of stone to give us a heart of flesh, and he puts his what? His Holy Spirit in us so that we would want to obey his commandments, that we would want to walk in his ways. Isaiah 59 talks about Joel chapter 2, in the last days I will pour out my what? Spirit on all flesh and my sons and daughters will prophesy and see visions and dream dreams and we see so the scriptures the Hebrew scriptures are full of these uh, illustrations and examples about the necessity of being what born again to be spiritually reborn Nicodemus should have understood that obviously he didn't and Jesus is trying to help him out here but you know what that's just the beginning so being born again is just the what It's just the beginning, right? So the second thing I want to share is that our spiritual rebirth is just the beginning of a new life in Christ. Now, why is this important? Because we do not need to be under any illusion that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that all of our pain and all of our problems just what? Just go away. Is that anybody's experience in here? Wasn't my experience. That would be nice, but it's just not reality, and that's not what the new birth is all about. It's just the what? It's just the beginning, okay? So naturally, the illustration fits the mold. Here it is. Just like a newborn infant, a newborn baby, we have a grandson that's six months old, and he is precious, and I look at him, and, and and he's observant, 
and he, he smiles and he engages you, but if you were to leave that boy alone for any amount of time, he would be in big what? Big trouble. Because if you don't feed him, he would go hungry. If you don't change his diapers, he would be in a mess, right? If you didn't nurture him and love him and take care of him, he would not live very long because he's just a what? He's just a baby. And that's what it's like spiritually speaking, guys, is that when we come to this newfound faith in Jesus, we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking, we are newborn what? We're just like newborn babies, okay? It's just the beginning. So again, rebirth is about transformation. It's not about perfection because the minute that we're spiritually reborn and we're just children and infants and babies in Christ, now it's just the beginning of this new life that we have in Jesus Christ, and we're expected to what? To grow up. There's going to be a, a journey in life where we get to grow, or we should be what? We should be growing, okay? Now, I think the, the caterpillar butterfly illustration is, is one of the best that, that we have in nature to describe this. Think about what it's like as a caterpillar. What's, a, what's all a caterpillar, caterpillar cares about? All he wants to do is eat and fill his belly and get fat, right? That's it. And so he is bound by the desire of his flesh to eat and eat and eat and eat, and that's all he's going to do, and he's not going to leave that safe place that he's in, and he's right there comfortable eating his leaves or whatever it is that he may be. And a caterpillar, there's one thing a caterpillar will never do. You'll never see that sucker fly, right? If he falls off the tree, where is he going? He's going down, Right? That's a great illustration of our life before Jesus Christ. We are, we are just completely um, given in and given over to the desires of our what? Of our flesh, and all we're trying to do is to satisfy those desires, and we're never going to fly. We're going to be bound to the things of this world and slaves to sin, bound to the desires and lusts and passions and pleasures of this world, and we never experience the freedom of what it means to fly. But that caterpillar, once something changes, is he has the opportunity now to be transformed into something else. But the first thing he must do, he has to what? Effectively, he has to what? He's got to die. That caterpillar's got to die. And once he dies, and of course the whole cocoon and all that, the, 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 the picture of death and what? And resurrection is that what emerges out of that is the transformation into something new. And guys, that's what we're talking about here, is that it's just the beginning. Now, even a butterfly still has to learn how to what? How to fly. So that first time out of the cocoon, he's a little shaky and he's kind of fluttering and he doesn't really know exactly what to do, but give it a little bit of time and finally that butterfly will get, get the hang of it and learn how to fly. That's what it's like as a believer in Jesus Christ, is that when we come out of that cocoon and we're a new creation in Christ, it doesn't just all come naturally and it doesn't come all easy. There's a process, there's a growing process, right? So we have to learn how to walk, we have to learn how to fly, we have to learn how to grow and be, become more mature over time. Let me give you some scriptures here that I think will be helpful to you, okay? Listen to this, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 1 Corinthians 3, brothers... I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not what? You weren't ready for it. Okay, you were not ready for it. And even now you were not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You see how the apostles are talking about these terms, about being infants in Christ, babes in Christ. And then Hebrews 5 is probably the best one. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... You know, you ought to be up here, graduated, mature. He says, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So guys, what we're really talking about here is just simple. This is what we call discipleship. If I, if I, in my experience, in my evaluation of the body of Christ, and, and I, I put myself right here to blame, if we've had one failure over the last 75 to 100 years in the church, 
I think the one fail, the biggest failure that we've had is a lack of what? Discipleship. Let's think about it. Just like my grandson that I was telling you about, if we if we if we enter if we bring somebody into a relationship with Jesus and they truly are reborn, guys, at that moment they are nothing but spiritual infants. Who's going to feed them? Who's going to teach them how to walk? Who's going to help encourage them and support them when they stumble and fall? But see, what happens is so many times is that we uh, in in the quote unquote in the church. We think about, you know, somebody got saved or somebody, you know, made a profession of faith or whatever that may be. And maybe we baptize them and maybe we, you know, we give them a Bible and say, okay, you know, just come to church. That's it. Like, I mean, that's that's the extent of it. And we don't we're not intentional about taking that person under our wing and and helping them grow spiritually through what's called discipleship. Okay, And so is it is it a. um, Again, I don't, whose fault is it? I'm not going to get into that necessarily, but I do think it's sad that we do have many, many churches that are filled of adults who have been believers for many, many years, and yet, spiritually speaking, they're still what? They're still infants. They've never grown. They've never grown past that stage. And it's sad. And, and again, it, it does get to a point where it, d- discipleship is two ways. It does go both ways. Because here's the thing. You may be one of those people who say, well, nobody ever discipled me. Nobody ever invested in me. Nobody ever taught me what it looked like to, to have a relationship with God and to serve the Lord and, and to study the scriptures and to learn how to pray and, and to use my spiritual gifts and to do all these things. And yes, that, that's wrong. Somebody should have. I should have. You should have. We should have. But at the same time, if you've, if you've never experienced that, maybe it's time that you go and do what? Maybe you need to seek that out. Maybe you need to humble yourself and say, you know what, Brother Marcus, I've been a member of this church for 25 years, and I don't feel like I've ever really grown spiritually. And it takes a tremendous amount of humility for you to be honest and to admit that and say, you know what, I don't want to finish that way. I want to finish well. I, want to, I do want to grow. I want to learn what it means to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Coming to a Sunday morning service once a week doesn't get it. I mean, how many of you are going to eat one, one time a week and never eat the rest of the week? Just not going to happen, right? So as maturing believers, it's just the beginning of our new life in Christ, but we need to get to the point to where we can walk on our own, we can wage spiritual warfare on our own, we know how to pray, and most of all, we need to know how to feed ourselves. Because if you're just waiting for the preacher to feed you once a week, you're going to be spiritually starving the other six days of the week. So as mature believers, we've got to learn how to feed ourselves and feed on the word of God. Okay? So again, these are just some of the things that we see. And what we see in the life of Nicodemus, and I think this is interesting before I move on to my next point, is that we see Nicodemus growing. After this encounter with Jesus, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 7, the Pharisees are having a, a conversation about Jesus. They're debating about, is he legitimate? Like, could he be the Messiah? And Nicodemus stands up um, for Jesus at this time. Uh, let me just read real quick to, to what it says. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was of them, he said, uh, he says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing or learning what he does? And so they kind of they rebuked him. So it was a big deal for Nicodemus to stand up for Jesus in the midst of his peers. That tells you that his life had been what? It had been changed. Now, again, was he, was he 100% confident overnight? No, it took him time. But do y'all know what we find Nicodemus doing at the end when Jesus is crucified? He gets with Joseph of Arimathea, and he takes the what? He takes the body of Jesus down off the cross. At that point, that's a public thing. Do you think he was embarrassed? I don't think he was in, as embarrassed anymore about being a disciple of Jesus. Do you see the, the progression that we see in Nicodemus' life? He was growing in his um, spiritual maturity, but it didn't happen overnight. It took time. So give yourself a little bit of grace. But at some point, guys, we should be able to look at our lives and say, wait a minute, I'm not where I need to be. But thank God I'm not where I used to be. That's the, that's the life of a believer. I'm not nearly where I need to be. I acknowledge that you thank God we're not where we used to be. And here's the last thing I want to tell you is that our spiritual health, our spiritual growth, 
our spiritual strength is directly connected to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our spiritual health, our spiritual growth, our spiritual strength is directly connected to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, let me say something about the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. He's what? He's holy. You know what that means? He's set apart. And let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He does not mix too well with a heart full of unconfessed and sin. He doesn't take too kindly that when our hearts are filled with pride and lust and greed and unforgiveness and strife and hatred and all the, uh, the, the desires of the flesh, which, again, they're still there, again, because we're, we're spiritual babies. We're growing up. With all this stuff doesn't just go away overnight. But the thing about it is, is that the Holy Spirit, he, he, he distances himself or he, he kind of withdraws in, sin, in, in a sense from the heart that is contaminated with sin. And there's two words that the scriptures talk about that, that talk about what it means to affect our relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's two things. We can either grieve him, or what's the other one? Anybody know? Or quench him. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, or we can quench him. So think about a fire, right? When you're feeding a fire with fresh wood constantly, what happens to that fire? It burns what? Hotter and brighter. So the, so the more we feed the Holy Spirit, the more that we're, we're investing in that relationship, the more that we're growing in our relationship with the Lord, our spiritual light, as it were, the light will, our light will shine what? Brighter, and we will burn hotter for love for God. But if you took a bucket of water and you poured it over that fire, immediately it's going to what? Quench it. It's going to quench the fire. There may still be some embers burning under there somewhere, Again, we never lose our salvation. We never lose our relationship with, with Jesus. The Spirit never completely goes away. Again, we can't be unborn, spiritually speaking, but man, can we not quench out a fire. So guys, what happens is, and this has happened in my life way too often, is that through sin, whether it's things that I should do that I don't do, which are sins of omission, or things that I do that I shouldn't do, Sins of commission. Either way, whenever we are living in disobedience to God and we're, we're walking in unconfessed sin or whatever it may be, it's just like taking a bucket of water and pouring it on the spiritual fire of your life. And it will quench. And it hurts God's what? It hurts his heart. It grieves him. So guys, I can't encourage you enough to make sure that you keep a very, very short account of sin. Are we going to sin? Yes. It's how we deal with that sin that matters most. Because the Bible says what? If you what? Confess your sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay? It's this when we let that sin build and build and pile and pile and we keep it in our heart and we keep it in secret and we hold on to it, and we harden ourselves, and we have the pride or whatever it may be, that's when we get in trouble, because that's when the Spirit is quenched, and that's when the Spirit is grieved in our life, and we are going to be spiritually weak in that way. And so we see all of these things and how important the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. And so, guys, what I want to do now is uh, I'm just going to share one more thing as we go. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up. And so let's just, just reflect real quick as we go. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do today. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. And I want, as we sing this last song, I just want you to get, get honest with the Lord wherever you are. We have, uh, I do want to say this, and I, I haven't done a great job with this in the past, but um, we have some elders in the house. I know I see Mr. Jim Cole there. I see Chris in the back. Um, we have people here that can, are willing to pray with you and counsel with you. Okay, maybe you need maybe you need that. Maybe you need someone to counsel you. Um, whatever that may be. So so if you need that, please don't hesitate to grab Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim, raise your hand. He's one of our elders. There's Chris, uh, one of our elders in the back. Just go grab him. They'll they'll be happy to pray with you. Okay.
But as we go, let's just ask this question. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, confess your sin, so that you can rekindle that what? That what? Spiritual fire. I'm, I'm praying and hoping that in my lifetime, I, I've said this before, but I'm, I'm praying and hoping in my lifetime that I will really, truly be able to see and experience a spiritual revival. But I know one thing and one thing alone. It's not going to happen because of all of you. It has to start with who? It's got to start with me. If I want to see spiritual revival in my life, then it better start where? In my heart. And that goes the same for any of you guys. And so whatever it is today that may be quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit in your life and, and it's kind of poured some water on that spiritual fire, maybe you're, you're not burning as bright and as hot and on fire for the Lord as you would like to, it's very simple, guys. The Bible makes it clear. It's not a complicated thing. All we need to do is what? Confess. Just agree. He already knows anyway, right? Are you keeping any secrets from God? No. He just wants you to agree with him. It's like, I already know what you're doing. But we get so proud and we get so uh, defensive or whatever it may be, and we just don't even want to admit or acknowledge the fact that we're not right. And God is saying, I'll forgive you. I don't want to come with you all with all this judgment and, and guilt and shame. He said, I, I just want you to confess, disagree with me about what you're doing, and I'll receive you back, and I'll restore you and forgive you. And guess what will happen to that spiritual fire? It'll start to what? It'll start to burn again. And I know that's what you want, and I know that's what I want. So as we get ready to sing this last song, I just want you to go ahead and bow your heads, guys, and we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for... The hope of heaven in Christ, I want to thank you for your presence, the, the spirit of adoption. I want to thank you for, Lord, just uh, having the, the promise of resurrection. I want to thank you for your presence in our life, Lord, that the spirit is our helper. You're our comforter, Lord. You, you keep us. You, you teach us. You guide us. You lead us, Lord. But, but we do have a role to play. We do have a responsibility. And so, Father, I just pray that anybody here today that may be struggling with sin or doubt or maybe they've never experienced the new birth, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And that's my hope and prayer in Jesus' name.